Welcome back to the Thunder Buddies Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Martin, and I am joined by my Thunder Buddy, Joe Masato, for a special edition of the Thunder Buddies, a play-in preview game. Who would have thought, like, five months ago when we started doing this, that we'd be talking about a play-in game, Joe? Certainly not I, Michael, um, but here we are. Postseason basketball is back after a very brief two-year hiatus. I- I'm very excited to talk about this upcoming game, Thunder at the Pelicans, 8.30 p.m. Wednesday, um, in a uh, in an elimination game. It's basically like a Game 7 type scenario, so it should be fun. Yeah, winner takes all. The Pelicans will play at home against the Thunder Wednesday night in New Orleans. You will be there on Bourbon Street probably act after the game, celebrating or um, not celebrating. What's the opposite of I'm, not celebrating? I'm... Uh... Instead of going, um, getting into trouble on Bourbon Street, um, I might stick to just um, getting a smoothie at the Smoothie King Center. Have you as had one a does. smoothie from the Smoothie King Center? I don't even know if the Smoothie King Center has a Smoothie King inside of it. I assume it does, but I have not uh, walked the concourses enough there to know any better. But um, I will. I'll, I'll report back on that, and instead of uh, recapping the game on. Uh, we'll probably jump on maybe Thursday, Friday. I don't know. Whenever we're back, I'll uh, I'll let you know if I uh, was successful in my smoothie endeavors. It'll be forty five minutes on that, and then five minutes about the game. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. we we do have a ton to talk about, Joe. Here, so let's uh, start breaking it down with the Pelicans, the Thunder. They played four times this year. The Pelicans went three and one over the Thunder. I found in my notes that the Pelicans, on average, in their three victories, only um, had a um, point differential of three. They beat the Thunder by an average of three points, whereas the Thunder had their one win against New Orleans and one by 14. Yeah, it it was a really close series. I was looking back. Um, I'll have a story that comes out tomorrow just kind of previewing uh, this play-in matchup. So November 28th, that was a four-point game. Um, I didn't really remember these games until I like looked back and, you know, read what uh we and others wrote about it. Um but that that game really came down to this crucial block charge call between SGA and Herb Jones. One official had it as a charge, one official had it as a block. They went with the charge um and basically Herb Jones had the the game ceiling charge um against Shea. Uh December 23rd, that was an overtime game, so um Definitely a close one there. February 13th, Pelicans led wire to wire, but it never really felt like that. It was only a three-point win, and then you had the Thunder blowout on March 11th. So, um, yeah, it's like it's not a great matchup for the Thunder, but like in those three losses, all very close games. All very competitive coming down to the wire where things can go either way. I remember that part earlier in the season when they get, did go to overtime with the Pelicans. It felt like every single home game was going to overtime during that stretch. Yes, and um, that was Shea's career high night. He had 44 points. He's done that twice. Um, but we often talk about how Herb Jones is uh, the closest thing to a Shea stopper as as there is. And I I agree with that um, for the most part, but I don't want to overrate it because Herb played in that game and SGA went off, um, like I said, for a career-high 44 points and was really efficient. So, you know, Shea's going to get his. He's actually um, averaging, I think it's... I have it here if, you would, if you'd like. Okay, I think I've got it. I think I've got it. Um, averaging 33.5 points per game against the Pels. Is that what you have? That is correct. 33.5 points. 
eight rebounds, 4.3 assists, two and a half steals, four turnovers on 45, 33, 89 splits. Okay, so I mean, it's the scoring's a little higher than his season average, but pretty much in line with what he's been doing this season. Yeah, he's been really good. And the Pelicans, I like what you talked about with Herb Jones, because I think that's one of the biggest matchups that we're going to end up talking about later is just some of the things because the closest thing to a quote unquote Shea stopper, but he's averaging 33 and a half points per game. I think that what more of what Herb Jones does is a limiter. And Mark talked about it a lot uh, earlier on Monday when we went to the the uh, practice and talked to him about that the Pelicans doubled Shea more than any other team in the league. And I think that they kind of use herb as a way to kind of just funnel Shea into other bigs down low and just try to get as many double teams as possible but he's not getting shut down like one-on-one no and you know the pelicans are pelicans have a really good defense um they rank sixth in the nba um in defensive rating only giving up 112 points per 100 possessions herb is their best individual defender um but as mark kind of outlined today it, it it's really a team defense approach and a guy they're going to be missing, barring some late changing news, is Jose Alvarado, who, you know, isn't some like huge physical specimen, but he's a very pesky guard who can give guys fits. So um, that's one thing in the Thunder's favor that that Alvarado is missing. But yeah, the Pelicans, um, they play tough defense. Najee Marshall is another guy who, who's a pretty versatile defender um, that they'll throw out, out there. So, um, but but it does like... I would say on the Thunder, when when the Thunder has the ball, Herb Vershay is the matchup to watch. And when the Pelicans have the ball, Lou Dort versus Brandon Ingram is the matchup to watch. I'd agree. Brandon Ingram only played in one game of this four-game series in the regular season, Joe, but he scored 34 points on 58-60-100 shooting splits. Yeah, that. Uh, so it's really crazy going back through through these games because the Pelicans were never really whole. I mean, going... Going back to that first game, so November 28th in New Orleans, Zion, Zion Williamson played. He played in that basketball game, one of his 29 games he played in this year. CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram did not play. Then you look to the second matchup. Williamson and Ingram were out, um, but McCollum was in. February 13th, the third matchup. McCollum in, Ingram and Williamson out again. Um, and then that last matchup, or excuse me, the third matchup Ingram was in. Um, and then the last matchup, um, and w- excuse me, the February 13th matchup, Williamson and McCollum were out. And then the March 11th matchup, Ingram and Williamson were out. I'm tripping up over myself because the point I'm trying to prove is that Zion played once, then he's out. He's also going to be out for this play in game. So we don't really have to talk about that all that much um but their second best player in brandon ingram only plays in one of the four matchups and the third member um of their trio cj mccollum he only plays in two of the four games so the thunder you can look back at those four games um but it's just kind of a weird team to prepare for because you haven't seen this version of them yeah, essentially their four best players in the four games against the Thunder have or their three best players have played four total games against the Thunder this year because CJ had two, Ingram one, Zion one, correct? That's correct. Just That's just correct. crazy stuff. And then I checked some other things because 
Shea is averaging 33 and a half points per game against them. But I saw just in the um, research that I did that two of Shea's eight worst shooting percentage performances this season were against the Pelicans. Both games he shot under 40% from the field, which he's only done nine times this entire season. Yeah, now that that is interesting. Um, you know, the the one thing he can do to combat that if he has uh, a bad shooting night, he's pretty consistent in getting fouled and getting points of the line, which he's been able to do against pretty much everyone, including the Pelicans. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that just speaks to to the defensive matchup that the Pelicans pose. Um, they've got a lot of long, switchy defenders, um, and you know, Valanciunas isn't that, but like he hasn't been a big part of these matchups really. So I'm curious to kind of see um, if the Thunder plays him off the floor or if they kind of match big for big with with him and Jay Will. So um, all kinds of things. And listen, we're going to break down the matchup, and rightfully so. But matchups really matter in like a seven game series. Like matchups are everything. In a one-game elimination game, Isaiah Joe could get hot. That's the ball game. Josh Richardson could have the game of his life off the bench, and, and that's the ball game. I, I mean, weird stuff can 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 sort of happen. So, um, you know, it's like we we can analyze it to death, but you know, the the hotter team on Wednesday night is probably going to win. I agree. I think that one of the big focuses is going to be the three-point line. But to go back to what you were saying about free throws, I was going to say people need to be prepared for a lot of free throws to be shot. In the four games that have been played between these two teams, they average a combined 48.75 free throw attempts per game. The Thunder get 24.5, and the Pels just get 24.25, so a quarter of an attempt less. But you're going to see a lot of action for the free throw line. A combined 48, that's a huge number Um, because the the Pelicans, I I mean, the Pelicans averaged 24.4 free throws per game, which is 10th in the NBA. You would think the Thunder would be higher. They're actually a little bit lower at 23.7. So I guess that that would be kind of both teams meeting their averages. I mean, these are two teams that rank in the top half of the NBA in free throw attempts per game. Um, the Thunder is sixth in free throw percentage. So, uh, I mean, because most of it's SGA, who's basically a 90% free throw shooter. But as a team, the Thunder is shooting 81% from the foul line. Uh, the Pelicans are shooting 79%. So pretty close there. It should be interesting. But yeah, that's a lot of free throws. And like you mentioned, in a one game sample size, one team just gets a more friendly whistle. I mean, uh, you were talking about the Pelicans and kind of surprised about their free throw shooting. Well, one of the games against the Thunder, they shot 40 free throws. So that's that's your outlier as to how the <laughs> yeah, average that, that, really goes up. That boosted it up right there. But anything can happen in a one game, but we're going to move on to some matchup stuff. But right before that, this is what people have been waiting for, the jersey giveaway, Joe. And we will talk about that right now. And we are back. Let's talk some matchups, Joe. It's fine with that time. It is time for the giveaway at the Thunder Buddies podcast. We are giving away a Shea Gilgis Alexander jersey. As you all know, this is what you all have been waiting for. So it is time for me to spin the wheel of all the names here and see who is coming away with this prize. So let's get to it. And I'll do that right now. And the winner is, drumroll please. At Kabongo Dynasty. Congratulations. I will send you a DM after this podcast is posted. Thank you all for entering into this giveaway. We definitely want to do more and more of these um, 
more consistently and more often to uh, just reciprocate the love that you guys have given to us. But uh, thank you so much just for the continued support this season. But let's get right back to some play and talk. Um, the Pelicans, their last three games, have played an average of 9.4 players uh, per game. Uh, they only played an eight-man rotation Sunday against the Wolves in a crazy game. Just want to talk to you about matchups, which we stressed are really important between guys like Shea and Herb and some other ones like that that we can get into. Yeah, and I mentioned the Valanchunas, um, uh, Jay Will matchup. Um, today at practice, Mark Dagnalt said that um, – you know, I asked if he's going to be the primary. I, I assumed he was going to be the primary guy on Ingram, but it, it does make sense that he's going to get some time against McCollum as well. Um, I would guess, I would guess that loose starts on Ingram, and I think they'll put J Dub on McCollum. Is that how you would go? I think you're going to see the trio of okay, those two guys, and then Wiggins will fill in a lot of the gaps. But I think that you need to specialize, if that's the right way to say it, the minutes that Lou is on Brandon Ingram, where you kind of want it at the start of the game and at the end of the game, because those are the Mm -hmm. most important spots. But I'm with you. I think that Ingram probably has Dort on him to start, um, but they can switch back and forth. And the Thunder have already shown this year that they are willing to switch other than Dort on a few possessions where he just like the the Dame one and Luca come to mind. But I think it's going to be very interesting because... They're just completely opposite builds between Dort and Ingram. Yeah, and you know, I don't mind the matchup for Dort. I mean, here's the thing about Ingram is like, you know, I know this comparison gets thrown around a lot, but in, in some ways, like, Brandon Ingram is like 90% of Kevin Durant in so many areas. Like, and... He's, he's just one of those guys who can rise up and, and shoot over you, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's especially nothing Lou Dort can do about it being, you know, a generous six foot three. So, but at the same time, we've seen Dort have tougher problems with like very quick twitch guards that he has to chase around the perimeter and things like that, um, which is more so what he might have to do against McCollum. Um, but Ingram isn't isn't a guy that's gonna blow by him. I mean, he's just like long and lanky and and you know is athletic, but not not super quick. And and I think Dort can use his strength, kind of get leverage in that matchup, get into his body a little bit, try to knock him off his spots, and turn it into a jump shooting contest, which you know Brandon Ingram is gonna be comfortable in, but um, not giving him anything easy on that front. I think Dort especially, it's going to be very, very important to set the tone early. You see this with a lot of playoff games, playing games, single elimination, whatever it is, where the guys set the tone early of this is going to be a really physical game, and the referees kind of have to adapt to that, if you're uh, familiar with what I'm saying. Like, there's certain games Mm -hmm. will go out, like the Grit and Grind Grizzlies are the prime example. They'd come in and they'd foul guys as hard as possible the first five minutes or so, and then just look at the rest and it's like, are you going to call each and every one of those the entire game. I'm not saying the Thunder mm-hmm. do that, but I think that it's going to be imperative that Dort really gets into the body and the frame of Ingram and like makes him feel him on the floor where he's not just shooting over a cone. I uh, that, That's a good point. Here, here's how I think they'll line up. We'll, we'll see if I'm right. Um, so I think we know who each team is going to start. I think the Thunder is going to start SGA, Giddy, Dort, J-Dub, J-Will. That's been their pretty consistent starting five. The Pels have also had a pretty consistent starting five since Zion's been out. Um, 
and that is CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, Trey Murphy, and Jonas Valanciunas. So, Dordon Ingram, I think we'll see J-Dub on McCollum. I think we're going to see Shea on Trey Murphy the third. I think they'll put Giddy on Herb Jones and Jay Will on Valanciunas to start. And again, the NBA is not like this one-on-one league. I mean, guys get switched on to other guys all the time by design. So it's not going to be like a mano-a-mano matchup. But that's at least how I think they'll start um, uh, after tip-off. Yeah, they'll get switches and different matchups, but that's the base coverage of on most possessions mm-hmm. when both teams are on the floor. That's who's going to be guarding who when they first get into those actions. But I agree with that. I like the matchups. Um, it does scare me with Valanchunas because he can be a monster down low and in the paint and on the boards. And Jay Will of recently hasn't been shooting the three nearly as well as he did earlier whenever he really caught fire when he really started uh, to get back in the rotation and start games. But it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um, who do you think... Let's let's get a final verdict on the rotation for the Thunder of the eight to nine man. Who do you think is going to be in it? We, we have the five starters that we mentioned. So Giddy, Shea, Dort, J-Dub, J-Will. Do you have two or three, four spots on the bench? Or what are you thinking? Yeah, I'll go three spots. Aaron Wiggins, Isaiah Joe, and Dario Saric. Um, I think that's the safest bet. Um, maybe... If it's like a, you know, offense only possession with just a few seconds left on the clock, you throw Lindy Waters in there to to get another shooter on the court. He could be used in in specialized situations. But I'll go Wiggins, Joe Sharich, and if the if the Pelicans, which you know they were in a in a in a game they very much tried to win on on Sunday in that loss to the Timberwolves, they they only played three guys off the bench. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. played 17 minutes. Najee Marshall played 12 minutes. And Josh Richardson from Edmond, Oklahoma, played 29 minutes. So remember that uh, that Richardson, uh, he joined the Pelicans. Uh, his first game with the Pelicans was against the Thunder in Oklahoma City. He played really, really well. Um, you know, kind of a journeyman wing, um, but a guy that you can plug and play. So um, I expect he'll be out there. One quick thing on the game, uh, the Memphis one. Did you notice that the two teams played a combined 13 players? Yeah. Uh, here's the deal. I was very much focused on some other things <laughs> during that during that uh, Grizzly Thunder, Thunder game. I, I, I had zero idea that Vince Williams Jr. was one of 14 from three in that game until I got the box score after the game i didn't know that kenneth lofton i knew he was scoring but they're like yeah he had 30 in the second half and i was like what yeah. or the yeah just crazy crazy game but well i just wanted to touch on that for a second because those are finals rotations but i think both teams are going to stick to an eight nine man rotation i'm with you on the same guys off the bench with wiggins joe and sharich and then i'm right in stride with you on some wild card minutes of those offense only possessions whether it be trey man or lindy coming off the bench just for a few minutes seconds here or there Um, But I do want to ask you, because this is a young Thunder team. I mean, the only guys with postseason experience are Dort, Shea, and Sharich. So what are you expecting for all these guys on a big stage that they haven't been on before? I think think Isaiah Joe has also played in the postseason. Let me me look this up. We're we're doing some live research right now. Um, Yes, so Isaiah Joe has actually played... 
in eleven playoff games, uh, he has not played in in ten minute in in more than he's not played meaningful minutes. This might have all been garbage time, which doesn't exist per Mark Dingle, but whatever. So yeah, it's really those three main guys, and in a Thunder uniform, it's only two guys, and that's Shea. Um, and Ludor, I, I think it's you know it's going to be interesting to see this team in a big spot, uh, you know, winner take all game because we don't know how even guys like Josh Giddy or J Dub J Will are going to respond in that spot. I mean, there's nothing that like scares me or would would tell me that man this guy might not might not be up for the task. Like you know, J Dub after practice today was like, yeah. There's pressure, but like it's a basketball game. So um, once you're kind of like locked in that competition, unless there's like some really like stressful or, you know, clutch moments that have have to happen down the stretch, maybe some things will reveal themselves there. Um, But I think it is nice for the Thunder that their best offensive player and their best defensive player have been in this spot. Um, Shea has been in two playoff series his rookie season with the Clippers against the Warriors. That was a huge spot. Um, he was in that uh, the seven-game series with the Rockets in his first year with the Thunder, although not the guy on that team, kind of sharing uh, ball-handling duties with Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder. Um, and Dort's breakout really was in that series. The the trouble he gave James Harden, um, you know, the high-scoring game seven, um, the, the key moments, you know, that, down the stretch that went the other way for him. Um, but... Um, yeah, it's this is this is new terrain, man. It's a completely different environment for a lot of those guys. Apologies to Isaiah Joe. I wasn't familiar with his playoffs. I looked up the stats. He averaged in eleven playoff games two point two minutes per game, but not garbage time. Those were the the Lindy minutes, right? Essentially the, oh, okay. the spot shooter minutes. But he did get some time in the and run in the playoffs. But um, it's going to be interesting with a lot of these guys just how they react. I think it's encouraging that the Thunder are as young as they are, which is really surprising just how laid back and just not really concerned they are with that, which has gone a little bit too far in games against like Charlotte and Detroit. But there were some really big matchups this year, Joe, like the the LeBron one, especially when he's going for the record. And those guys didn't look really all that rattled. The only time I can really think of it is um, the home game against the Warriors, Mark Dagnalt called it like the boogeyman game where it's like mm-hmm. the Warriors came out and punched first. And then after a while, the Thunder weren't in awe anymore and kind of fought back. It, it was a little bit uh, too little too late, but I don't think they're nervous or fearful about an environment going and playing a team like New Orleans. And they're not exactly a team with a rabid fan base where it's like you're going to Golden State or Milwaukee or anything like that. Yeah, that's an understatement. I, w- I would say that... New Orleans, of all the, I mean, of all the places in the NBA, they they might have the the worst home crowd. Now, here's the deal: like the Timberwolves aren't known for having this like crazy home court advantage, but when they host a play-in game, everyone goes crazy. So, um, there's there's like fans fans should get up for this game. So I assume it's going to be full and everything like that. But at the same time, like. This is a relatively, not relatively. This is a disappointing year for the Pelicans. on On January first, as the calendar flips to the new year, the Pelicans are second place in the West. Everyone's riding high. January second, that's Zion's last game. He has this hamstring injury, which like, it's like what what's going on with Zion? No, what's going on with Zion? Like they're 
very ambiguous with, with the updates. Brandon Ingram missed a ton of time with his foot injury. They go on a 10 game losing streak um, in, in January and February, and it's and, and then they just plummet down the standing. So they go 17 and 29 um, in the new year. So, like, I, I don't have a good pulse of where their fan base is, if they're even excited to be in this spot. Like, hey, the, the team rallied and, you know, held on for a play in spot. Um, or if it's just like total, you know, disengagement, knowing the Zion injury and everything like that. So, um, but to your point, this isn't a team that has sort of revealed its age a, a lot. And I mean that in like a, a negative way. They haven't negatively done that. I think they've been in big spots, no spot bigger than the LeBron James game. I'll tell you what, the stakes are going to be higher for the game Wednesday night. But the atmosphere is not going to to be like that. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Um, and then won that game. They, um, you know, going back to to the earlier stages of the season, uh, they won in Philadelphia against a, a full strength Sixers squad. They they played Boston really close um, at the Boston Garden, w- which was one of the best crowds I've heard all year. So um, they they've handled themselves in in pretty big spots. I, I think like going back to Los Angeles um, at the good old crypt for a play in game would be a lot tougher because like you've, you've, you've got the stars sitting courtside and all the talk about LeBron, like going to new Orleans, you know, I don't think there's, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of national attention um, on this game, aside from you know what's already going to be there, just because of hey, it's a playing game. Let's tune in. Yeah, it's definitely not like being in LA where ESPN can just walk across the street and Stephen A. Smith and all those guys are there reporting on the game. New Orleans, yes. yeah, the the fans aren't great. I'll give it to them that it's probably hard to get up and excited after eating gumbo or something like that. I'm <laughs> sure on the. Just something in New Orleans. That's all they eat, exclusively gumbo. Exclusively. You heard it here first. Your number one source of New Orleans um, eatery. I don't know the word. Okay, we're going to get back. Have some, I'll probably have some gumbo. We're, I'm looking forward to the travel vlog, whether it's that and the smoothie and other things like that. But um, one last matchup I wanted to talk about, and this is something that flips a lot of playoff series, play-ins, uh, games, and this is what can get a lot of coaches fired, is the matchup of coaching. We have Willie Green, who's in his second year as a head coach with New Orleans. They made the playoffs last year, and then Mark Dagnalt's in his third year with the Thunder this season. How do you see the coach, uh, coaching matchup kind of going? Yeah, it's like um, two two really young coaches. Uh, this is the, the second year for Willie Green, the, the third year for Mark Dagnalt. Um I think both are really respected around the league is as far as like the, the jobs they've done, um, you know, given their inexperience, obviously come from very different backgrounds. Willie Green, a a longtime guard in in the NBA, Um, Mark Dagnalt, uh, a no time guard or forward or center, anything in the NBA Um, or in college. I, I mean, this might be bias of covering Mark on a day-to-day basis, but I would, I would lean Mark Dagnalt, um, in that matchup. But that's only because, um, you know, I, again, I follow the Thunder, if I follow the Pels, and and uh, could see day in and day out how smart Willie Green was and how much of a tactical genius he is. 
I'd probably be like, yeah, Willie Green has this advantage. Like, I, I don't think anyone in New Orleans right now is shaking in their boots or uh, the the spoon. They're 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 shaking their hand while holding a a spoon for their their pot of uh, gumbo. I don't think they're scared of Mark Zagnall necessarily. It's kind of like a a battle of the unknowns. Although one of them is going to appear on my coach of the year ballot, and one of them is not. I'd be you more, can make your guesses. I'd be more concerned if any of the people in New Orleans could pronounce Mark's name correctly. I don't think that most of them know his name in general outside of the team and franchise. I don't think most fans know who he is, unfortunately. Well, here's the here's the interesting thing about that. So, um, obviously, a lot of a lot of Cajuns in uh, Louisiana, French speaking, they'd probably think it's Daniel. Pardon my French pronunciation there, but when he is introduced in Toronto, um, you know, French speakers in Toronto, but mainly in Montreal as well, um, they they give the French pronunciation, and he was actually asked about that, um, and he he just pronounces it Dagnault, which is how any Oklahoman would pronounce it, although he's not an Oklahoman, but it's like, like what is the least interesting way you could pronounce this interesting last name and it would be Dignault. um but maybe uh maybe they maybe they go with Daniel we need in 30, New Orleans. 30 arenas 30 different pronunciations on his name but I'm not too worried about the matchup either they're just completely in different scenarios where Mark with a lot of the teams that were uh, trying to develop talent he's just kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel and trying to make units work and he really did that whereas on the pelican side willie green was kind of thrown into the fire with a lot of injuries on a really talented roster with guys who are in and out but i think both guys in their own right have done a, a really solid job but it's going to come down to a lot of the stuff like those um, i think mark is really great with some of the adjustments we've seen the thunder be a great third quarter team and then just his work out of timeouts but hopefully he can hang on to a lot of those timeouts yeah, uh, one last thing on the coaching matchup. Willie Green is really good friends with Chris Paul, so there's a there's a connection there. Uh, Willie played for the Clippers in, in 2012-13, um, And the other thing uh, that, that I did not know, uh, Willie shadowed, I don't know if it was someone in particular, it might have been Mark, but like it was kind of, you know, ex-players, kind of using their connections in the NBA. Someone says, yeah, come come down here, check out the operation. Here's what it's like as they sort of transition into coaching. So uh, the way I understand it, Willie spent um, a few days, maybe shorter, maybe longer, in Oklahoma City um, before getting that head coaching job in, in New Orleans. So there, there's some familiarity there uh, between the two coaches. Yeah, I remember you uh... – that happened at practice. I think it was mentioned, but yeah, Mark talked about it, that Sam okayed it and that um, Willie was around for a little bit, but going to be interesting. We're, we're connecting all the dots, all the storylines, the um, Hornets playing in Oklahoma city, turning to the Pelicans, Chris Paul, Willie green to Mark Dagnall, all the important stories and threads you want to follow. Right. Can, can I throw out some other random yes, storylines? Um, Antonio Daniels, the TV analyst for the Pelicans. Used to be a studio analyst for the Thunder. My man Jackson Hayes, who probably won't play in this game, but he was born in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, I think I, I think I'm I think I'm already running out of. There, there's not that many. Kenrich Williams, former Pelican, but he's not playing. 
Um, a trade that really worked out well for the Thunder. You got any others? I mean, I think their play-by-play announcer was at one point the guy for the Sonics, but that's that's the only other one. Ah, I can, Joel I can bring Myers. Up. Um. All right, I'm out. Okay, let's get into some biggest questions and uh, keys to winning this game. The first one that came to my mind, and I know we've beaten this, uh, beaten the crap out of this story, but what kind of Lou Dort game are we getting? In the four games that Lou Dort has played against the Pelicans this season, Joe, he's averaging nine points on 31-16-64 shooting splits in 33.4 minutes per game. You can count on two things from Lou Dort. He's going to play really good defense. Now, it might not be uh, sometimes offensive players are, are too good and good defense doesn't matter, but I think he's. I, I think you're going to get a, a Lou, Dort, Lou Dortian effort on the defensive end. He's going to give it his all. And on offense, the one thing you can count on is you can count on nothing. Lou Dort is a complete wild card offensively. Uh, you know, like he might go... He might go four of nine from three, and that swings the game. He might also go one of six from three, and that cost the cost them the game. Um, I would I would rather him go uh, if I was the Thunder go one of six from three than um, throw up a bunch of ill advised layups on ill advised drives to the rim. Um, but who knows? I, I mean, it's been an up and down kind of lightning rod season for Lou Dort on the offensive end. I think sometimes that. You know, people lose sight of just how good he is defensively. And that's why the Thunder, I don't want to say puts up with, but like it's easier to kind of be like, yeah, you know, he did that on offense. But have you seen what this guy did defensively? Have you seen someone shut down Kawhi Leonard for the duration of a shot clock and not even get the shot off? I mean, that's why, that's why Lou Dort is going to stay out there. But, um, I have no idea. Do you have any guesses of, of what's going to happen with Lou offensively on Wednesday? He was great in Game 7, so hopefully it's something <laughs> like that. But it's it's a balancing act. I mean, you see it on the opposite end with guys like Trey Young who can't defend a cone but are brilliant offensively, and you just have the give and take of that. But Lou, it's going to be really important, especially on this one. This is why I wanted to point the, um, have a point of emphasis on his stats is because we mentioned it earlier, the Pelicans double Shea more than any other team in the league. So you're going to have to have him kick out yeah. to other guys who are going to need to bail him out if Shane can get any extra spacing. Yeah, you know, that that's a good point. And when, when Shea is doubled, he's, he's going to find an open man. And that's when a guy like um, J-Dub as well, like he can, you know, if SGA is doubled, he kicks to, to J-Dub. They've got to collapse on him. J-Dub can, can really attack those closeouts, I think, and, and get to the rim or make the extra pass and kind of scramble up the defense, which is usually what happens if you're um, able to pass out of a double team. You know, Lou's not always their best offensive decision maker, but he's going to be put in a big spot if that is the case. I mean, this is why the Thunder wants guys who can make decisions with the basketball because so much attention is going to be on SGA that Giddy, Dort, J-Dub, Isaiah Joe Wiggins. I mean, those guys are all going to have to make quick decisions and make the right decisions uh, to beat the Pels. Yeah, you got to have other guys who can do something with the ball. It can't just be Shea drives in, gets a double team, passes it out, 
goes back, grabs the ball, and then keeps trying that over and over. That's not going to work. But I think it is going to be really important to see how aggressive J-Dub is. We've seen it this season. We've talked about it a lot, about wanting him to take more shots. I was doing some research, and I was surprised by this, but he's only had 16 games this season where he shot more than 10 shots in a game, and the Thunder are 6-10 and 10 in those games. So they're going to need him to be aggressive, but also stay efficient. So you're saying the Thunder is 6-10 and 10 when he takes 10 or more shots? Uh, more than 10, yes. More than 10. Yeah, I wonder... I mean, the record without Shea is is fine, so that wouldn't like tank that. But I wonder how many of those came without Shea. Uh, there were a few. One of them was the San Antonio game where he balled out. One of them was the Charlotte game, and there were a couple other ones like that. I think it's kind of down the line 50-50. Okay. But I thought that was pretty interesting because especially without Shea as one of your primary initiators, not that he's going to be taken out completely, but if he averages 33 points per game, I feel like the Pelicans are going to make it their entire job of this guy does not beat us. So maybe he has 27 or something like that, but those points need to be made up by somebody. And J-Dub is one of the prime guys I would look at to try to fill that void. How many minutes do you think Shea will play? Oh, man. Um probably I'd say in the forties. Yeah. If he's healthy enough to do it. Yeah. I could see him playing 45 minutes, Yeah, which would basically be one break. Um, yeah, because like you have to treat this like a game seven and the, the good news for the thunder is, you know, a lot of these guys are dealing with things. Shea, especially, um, has looked ha- hampered by, either running out of gas or or injuries, but has, has battled through that. Uh, the good thing for him is he hasn't played since Thursday. So by the time they play on Wednesday, it'll be six days. Um, you know, w- without playing a game, you could look at that one of two ways. Oh, hopefully they're not rusty. Or the way I think they're looking at it, these guys are going to be, you know, more rested coming into this game than they have been. Um, really since the all-star break and even then, you know, Shea's playing and doing all this, these events and stuff like that. So, um, the Thunder went hard at practice on Monday. They're going to practice again Tuesday. I would expect that to be a lighter practice, um, before they fly out to New Orleans on Tuesday evening, um, for the game Wednesday. Yeah. Currently he's averaging 34 or 35.5 minutes per game. I think that's going to go up, obviously, in a winner-takes-all game. I'd say most of his rotations are obviously first, full quarter, 12 minutes, six minutes in the second, full third quarter, six minutes in the fourth. I think that you're more than likely going to see that rotation change where it might be him sitting the end of the first quarter and the start of the second, and the same with the uh, end of the third to the start of the fourth as just a way to get him some extra rest. But one of the things we talked about earlier, which I'm just now thinking of, is all the free throws. That's another way you can get him some extra rest, which he's still on the floor, but guys are just standing around. It's a mini timeout in a way. Yeah, or I could see them even sticking with the the classic Shea rotations, but um, maybe he sits the first six of the of the second and plays the entire fourth, or maybe he does something where it's like, you know, instead of sitting for six minutes, he's sitting the first three minutes of the second quarter, first, you know, three minutes of the fourth quarter, something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're talking about them playing eight guys. 
we have no idea what's actually going to happen. For all I know, Usman Jang is going to play 15 minutes. Um, but if you only play eight guys, you're not going to play your bench guys 20 plus minutes. So, so you're looking at high 30s, you know, low to mid 40s for pretty much all of the starters, I would guess, uh, except Jay Will, because that's going to be a matchup dependent thing. Yeah, and like we talked about earlier, different coach, different team around him, but Shea in the bubble averaged 39.9 minutes per game, including 41 in that game seven. So I think that might be a small preview. Billy Donovan, Mark Dagnall aren't the same guy, but I think that just when you have your best player, and now Shea is definitively your best player, not like on that Chris Paul team, he's going to have to play at least 42, 43 minutes. Speaking of uh, our good friend Bill Donovan, he his bulls are 40 and 42 much like mark dagnalt's thunder um and they're going to be playing in the same night in the in a 9-10 elimination game against the toronto raptors so uh not the spot you thought either of those guys would be in um after billy left the not left i mean Parted both, ways. both sides, yeah. I think, were, were ready to to move on, but I don't think Billy was interested in the rebuild. Um, but yeah, you, you wouldn't have thought they'd be in these spots. Well, if Shea does play, let's say, 43 minutes, what are going to be the biggest factors in the minutes where he's off the floor? Because that kind of, the Thunder live and die on some of those minutes and a lot of those nights because he's been so effective when he's on the floor. When Shea is off the floor, I think it's almost mandatory that both Giddy and J-Dub are on the floor. And we, we talked about, you know, at some points in the season, at least having one of those three guys on the floor. Man, if it's Shea who's the one off, I'd, I'd want two of those other guys um, on, on the floor just to make sure you have enough creation and, and enough ball handling um, out there at the same time. You could put them out there with, you know, a shooter like Isaiah Joe or even an Aaron Wiggins who's a competent um, ball handler is not going to get you into trouble. Um, but I, I would really want those two other guys to step up. And we've seen Josh Giddy, you know, he's obviously comfortable running an offense and managing things out there when, when Shea's off. So, you know, I would lean even more so on him than I would on J Dub just because, you know, Josh has more experience, has been in, um, you know, played more NBA basketball. And, and, uh, I don't know. I would just, there's there's nothing to say that you know J Dub could could not handle that spot, um, but I I would make sure that the Giddy's out there with J Dub. I'm confident in both, but I'm with you. I think that Josh just his experience as a primary ball handler is really really good, and just him playing extra NBA basketball. Obviously, there are strengths that Dub has over him, but I trust him a little bit more. And I'm with you. I want both those guys on the floor when Shea's out. And the thing is, when your superstar is out. All you have to do is kind of hold water whenever he's off the floor. So if the Thunder are up by six and Shea checks out, your only job is to make sure you're not losing by the time he mm-hmm. comes back in. That's it. You don't have to keep the lead going up. If you can, that's fantastic. That's icing on top of the cake. But you just need to be able to survive until he gets enough rest to come back in. Yeah, and, you know, it's not like the Thunder has, you know, the the deepest team. I mean, it's deep as far as like young talent goes. Um, but the, the three Pelicans we mentioned Richardson, Marshall and, um, Larry Nance, like 
if anything, it's a wash, but I would give a slight edge maybe to the Thunder um, just be, just because Isaiah Joe can really flip a game like this, and I'm not I, I'm not overstating that. Like if Isaiah Joe comes out like he did in you know the first half in Phoenix, remember that ESPN game where he makes like seven threes? That could be it. Like that that could that could win the game for the Thunder. So um, I, I like what they have coming off the bench. Aaron Wiggins, a guy totally made I think for a spot like this, and then Sharich. So, if they want to go a little smaller, um, or or stay big, I mean he's basically the the backup center at this point. So um, I kind of like how that how, how those rotations shake out. Now the Pelicans bench leans a little more wing and, and forward heavy to where they could like throw a lot of those guys at SGA Giddy Dub, whereas the Thunder's bench is a little more specialized. Um, but yeah, just kind of looking forward to the chess match that this becomes. I'm glad you mentioned Isaiah Joe because he's one of the bigger points I had too of just, is he really out of this slump? He didn't play at all against Memphis the other day, but he's had a rough couple of weeks, maybe a month of shooting where he's kind of gone down. But like you mentioned, one shooter in one game can be the total difference. We saw Grant Williams last year be the difference in game seven, sending the Bucks home. Danny Green almost won a finals MVP for having a hot stretch for like four or five mm-hmm. straight games. Anything can happen, but the Thunder, as we've talked about before, really rely on his shooting. So it's going to be important that he is effective out there in his minutes on both ends, but especially shooting the ball. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting, especially when he's out there with Shea, if the Pelicans stick with their strategy and are doubling him a ton. I mean, the Thunder is going to be able to to get Isaiah Joe some clean looks, if that's the case, and that's kind of what has been missing recently as far as the slump goes. But I don't put too much stock into the slump just because the attempts have been more difficult. And at the same time, like with shooters like that, you can see like sometimes Josh Giddy misses a three badly. Lou Dort misses a three badly, even Shea, but like Isaiah Joe, even when he's a slump, the ball's going in and out or it's getting a good part of the rim. Like it's, it's not missing by much. And, and that's, that's really the mark of a good shooter. So few more bounces go his way he's he's going to be just fine yeah he's got to shoot through it in an 82 game season everybody's going to have their couple weeks where they're just off or on fire we saw that with josh where he was just killing it for a while Mm -hmm. and then he kind of came back to earth with his shooting isaiah is the same way and i'm confident he'll bounce back but it is going to be imperative which team is better from three which team gets hot from three neither team in the four games has shot above 37 percent from three uh, the most threes made by a team in any of these games in the series was 13, and both of those team, uh, both teams had 13 on the same night. So if one team gets hot from three, it can just be an avalanche, and I can see it from both sides because if the Thunder start hitting threes, you can't double Shea. And if the Pelicans are hitting threes, you can't double Ingram, and you're going to have a lot of Valanchunas post-ups. And the interesting thing about the, the three-point matchup, the Pelicans... Um, they averaged 30.1 three-point attempts per game, which is 29th in the NBA. Only the Bulls attempt fewer threes per game than the Pels. Um, obviously, everyone knows what, what C.J. McCollum can do from deep, but they don't have a, a, a ton of three-point threats on this roster. Um, the Thunder, by comparison, I said the, the Pels ranked 29th in three-point attempts per game. The Thunder ranked 12th. 
both of them are middling as far as percentage goes. Um, the Pels are 15, the Thunder's 17. Both are at 36% um, on, on the season. Um, but the Thunder gets them up in, in a higher volume, which we've talked about the Thunder losing the math game. This doesn't really look like a game in which the Thunder could lose the math game. I, I don't see like, you know, the the Pels attempting 45 threes in, in this one. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, both teams want to get into the paint and use their size. Speaking of which, I wanted to touch on Josh because I think he's going to have some undersized guys guarding him, whether it be CJ or um, Trey Murphy. But Josh has been pretty good in the series this year against the Pelicans. He's averaging 16 points per game, seven rebounds per game, and four assists on 53, 42, and then the bad one is 66% from the free throw line shooting splits. But 50, 40 from the field and the three has been very nice from him. Yeah, yeah, he's he's going to be important in this game. And um, another storyline that probably won't bear out because uh, I don't know if we'll see Dyson Daniels. But Josh Giddy and Dyson Daniels, very good friends, uh, dating back to their childhood growing up in Australia, both graduates of the NBA Academy um, in Australia. So uh, I've got all the I've got all the nuggets and notes for you today, Michael. I'm I'm very excited. I can't <laughs> wait to see this game and just hear um, people are talking about the game and you're tweeting. And it's like this is one of the best smoothies I've ever had. <laughs> This uh, this berry blend is just on point. It's like, yeah, I've been standing in the line for 30 minutes. It's like, Joe, Shay's going to the line to tie the game. You're like, yeah, we'll just, in a second, here. <laughs> just wait up. But I'm very, very excited for this game. Um, have you, you said that New Orleans fan base isn't like one, not to trash them, it isn't one that has like a reputation of a bunch of energy. What are you anticipating going in there? I don't know. I, I mean, it goes back to like the Zion thing. I don't know just if this fan base is absolutely crushed right now with how the season has gone. Like things seemed we were talking about like, okay, what are other young teams in the West that like the Thunder is going to be contending with? And like Memphis is always the obvious one. They're still up there despite the jaw drama. Drama. Um and the Pelicans were another one, but like you don't put them up there anymore. I mean, Zion Williamson does not play. Zion Zion Williamson is uh this is his fourth year in the NBA. It's Josh Giddy's second year. Josh Giddy was injured at the end of last season. Giddy's already played more games than than Zion has, uh, which is it's a shame. I love watching Zion play. I hope he can stay healthy. Um, but there's there's a lot of worry right now in New Orleans. So I I have no idea the mental state of the fan base. Like I said, it's not it's not strong to begin with. They're crazy about the Saints. They're crazy about LSU football. It's football country. But um I assume they're gonna get up for this game, but I, I truly don't know. Yeah, I feel like more fans from that side, the Pelican side, it was just a relief to get in and just like I'm so glad we didn't get knocked out as mm -hmm. opposed to the Thunder fans where it's like, we're so happy we got in. This is great. Happy to be here. And the Pelicans are like, we just survived. It's like, can we survive this too? But that Zion stat is incredible. And I think you reported earlier this year talking about Zion that he, in his four years in the league, still hasn't played in Oklahoma City in front of fans, right? That's correct. He's only played in Oklahoma City once, and it was the 2020-2021 season in, in which uh, there were no fans in the arena. So 
it's a it's a shame. I mean, he played in 29 games this year. Last year, he misses the entire season. Year before that, he played in 61 games, which is great. Um, and then his his rookie year, he plays in 24 games. So he's a uh, He's going to be 23 next season with all of 114 NBA games to his name. Just incredible, crazy stuff. But last thing here before we get out of here, I feel like you know we've hit him on, on every point. Do you have anything else before we get to some predictions? Um, no, I have nothing. Nothing else. Okay, let's get some predictions. I would you like to go first, or would you like to hear me, uh, mine first? I I want to hear you go first. I'll follow the format of your prediction. Awesome. <laughs> Just copy-paste, yes. Yes. But I have the Thunder winning in a close one. I think it's more likely to be a dogfight than a um, back-and-forth with a shootout, but... I feel like it's going to be close and it's going to come down to the three-point shooting that we've talked about and probably just who is better between Shea and Brandon Ingram down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, usually games like this come down to the stars, which star has a better game. So um, I I don't think they're going to be matched up against each other all that much, but just how those two guys play is going to swing this thing. Listen, Nobody has any idea how a one-game winner-take-all game is is going to go. But I'm also going to take the Thunder just because, you know, these two teams, really, since Zion has been out, the Pelicans haven't been the same team. They've been in a free fall. Credit to them for hanging on to this playing spot. Um, But I think the the Thunder comes in in a better spot, has been the better team um, for much of the last few months. Um, And... You know, just uh, the vibes seem to be better. And speaking of vibes, if the Timberwolves lose to the Lakers and the Thunder beats the Pelicans, the Thunder is headed to Minneapolis where Rudy Gobert will likely play. Um, but if you didn't see, he he, he uh, punched Kyle Anderson. I, I hope you saw that. Um, and Jaden McDaniels, who I assume would guard Shea Gilgis-Alexander is out with a broken hand because he also punched a wall or something. Too many punches being thrown in Minneapolis. Two punches that, that might have ruined their season. Um, so, heck, I mean, that that's a game that the Thunder could, could win as well, which uh, would send them to the playoffs as the number eight seed. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but, you know, it's really hard to win two road games um so I listen, I, I don't think the Thunder would be I wouldn't pick them right now to get the eight seed just because like I wanna winning one playoff game w- winning one road game is hard, two road games even harder. Um but when you look at the individual matchups, if they get there, I could easily see them winning either of those games. Yeah, it's not the most likely scenario, but it's not impossible. It's not something that I would just be shocked by if they did go 2-0 and in this run and beat both teams. Like I mentioned with New Orleans, we talked about, if it's Minnesota, that's not exactly the toughest place to play either, and they have a lot of stuff going on. Jade McDaniels broke his hand, wrist. He joins the uh, the Mount Rushmore of weird, dumb injuries with guys like Ennis Cantor, who uh, punched or kicked a chair. Um Amari Stoudemire, who punched like um, a fire extinguisher and cut his hand open. A lot of guys like that. I think LeBron, the story is that he punched a clipboard or punched a whiteboard in game one of the finals in 2018 after the J.R. Smith debacle. But 
top tier weird injuries right there. I'm a. I'm not much of a puncher when I'm angry. Now I I also don't play competitive athletics, but I don't I don't know. It's it can just go from anger to embarrassment in like a literal snap. Like you're you're being the tough guy, all angry. You punch something. Ah, I'm so upset. And then you feel like an idiot because you just hurt yourself. Um, so yeah, I, I I would avoid that. You see, like baseball player swinging a bat at the cooler in the dugout or doing all this crazy stuff. I, I think it's about time we as a society progress past punching things out of anger. I'm going to have to take you to one of those rooms, like the chaos rooms where you just rent it out for an hour and you can just like break lamps with a baseball bat and light bulbs. That doesn't really stuff. appeal to me. I think I would just go in there and sit down and take in my surroundings. Start sweeping things up. It's like this place is a real mess. <laughs> Like, just don't even understand what the kind of establishment of, are you guys running open. here that, that would be sam presti if he went to one of those it's like guys uh, i walk in there's broken glass hey, on the floor hey, the, the lights are basketballs good. aren't facing the same direction that there's some stuff going <laughs> walking in the thunder training facility all the basketballs are one way i i hope that that's his personal job like he has it on the security cameras looks it's, at it it's it's someone's job. Shout out to the book Boomtown for uh, talking about that. Absolutely. But it's still going on now. But thank you so much for listening. We both have the Thunder winning, hopefully, on Wednesday night. Um, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen with the pod. Maybe we'll do one. Um, Joe is probably going to be busy, but maybe something post-game after Wednesday. But we'll definitely be back on Friday to Hopefully talk about a Thunder win, Joe. Do you have anything else to plug before we get out of here? I know that you're working on a variety of stories, including what's going on in the play-in. Yeah, so I uh, have a kind of an overview by the numbers type thing, a lot of which we've talked about um, coming out either Monday night or Tuesday morning, and then I kind of want to hyper-focus on that SGA-Herb Jones matchup in- in- inside that. And then... If the Thunder lose, coming home for exit interviews, which is always a marathon day. And if the Thunder wins, I will either be flying to Los Angeles or Minneapolis. um, And we'll figure it out when we get there. We are going to speak into existence. Hopefully you will be at one of those cities going forward after the Thunder can get a win. But thanks so much, Joe. And thank you all for listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. It's been a fantastic regular season. Uh, Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us at ThunderBudPod on Twitter for more information and updates about this podcast. And we will be back again to talk more Thunder basketball on Friday.